Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for April 6th of 2017. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHurts.com. This week's edition of the podcast, we will be discussing the NHL stance on the Olympics. They apparently will not be going as of right now, which is interesting. (laughs) (laughs) We will also be talking, unfortunately, about Chris Letang's injury situation. He is going to miss the rest of the year with uh, neck surgery, four to six months of recovery time. So I guess that would potentially put him out for the beginning of next year as well. And who knows what the long-term implications will be on an injury like that. Good thing we have a uh, co-host here that kind of knows that kind of stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. That's me. (laughs) And we will also be discussing Ryan Stimson's awesome passing data and the visualization that he released yesterday or the day before. doesn't matter. It's out there now. It's awesome. And how that is for me, the next wave of modern hockey analysis that can be useful. So I'm very excited about where we can go with Ryan's information, especially once we get more of it, because it all has to be manually tracked, which is the difficult part. But him and his army of trackers have are doing great work. So I, I want to give that kudos and talk about some of the things that I've seen with it. So with all that said, the Olympics, the NHL is not the NHL is not going to be releasing its players to play. Your thoughts. They'll go anyway. Basically, I mean, if you have a look at the fact that um, Ovi will go, he won't care if he gets suspended or whatever, he'll go. Um, I think there'll be um, players for all of the Olympic teams, particularly the European teams, that will go. I don't think you're going to be able to stop Patrick Laine from going to play for, for Finland. Um, and I think that's the, the main problem. Good luck the... keeping Ovi away. Well, that, that's that's exactly right. So I mean, I know he, saying, he's been pretty adamant and open. Yeah, I'm going. So and know. has an owner and has an owner that so far has backed him up on that call. No, and I don't think um, his owner will change that. But from I, I, I did read a little bit that they're going to try and the NHL is going to try to come hard down on the teams that allow them to go. I don't know how they're going to do that. Maybe they would not allow a roster, rostered player while those players are gone. So, like, they, for Washington, they have a lot of players. Maybe maybe they only have 16 players a game if four of them go. For what, two weeks? So that's eight games. I'm not saying games. that is happening. I heard a suggestion like that. I think the NHL will attempt to – minimize the potential of that happening? I just find it so short-sighted and it's so frustrating with it. So I think there are valid reasons why the NHL would be hesitant for it, given that it's mid-season, they're their assets, at least that's the way they feel. But... Like you said, it is short-sighted. In the short term, you could have a John Tavares injury like the last time around where you lose him the whole year. And that's 
really unfortunate. And it sucks. But that could happen any hockey game. It's just that they're not making money off it when it happens. Not right now, no. But considering we're talking about Asia with South Korea and China, I don't believe for a second they'll skip China, but I think they could get a head start on the Asian market right now, and it's a it's an untapped market. And basketball has done great to, to get the Asian market on board. And while they won't make money like right now, right now, you start showing off hockey with all the best players and it, it, it becomes an interesting thing for people, you can start selling your NHL.TV overseas and, and rights to different markets. <laughs> so you're building a global fan base that can only lead to more money. It's just everything the NHL does is about the now. It never seems to be any forward planning with what they do, ever. And I suppose just as I get older and older, it gets more and more frustrating because it feels like the league hasn't really moved forward in regards to whatever it is they're doing. I always use the NBA as an example because they both had lockouts at the same time. Their salary cap started at the same point and they've grown the game exponentially cap-wise. It keeps going up and up and up because the revenue keeps coming in and in and in and the NHL hasn't been able to work out how to do that. And everything they do, they're either slow to move or they're regressive in their thought process. They don't want things to change and that's the thing that I find most baffling. Well, there, there is also the variable that hockey costs to play and, and put on the sport is astronomically higher than basketball so socioeconomically hockey is already at a disadvantage compared to basketball but that doesn't mean the nhl and hockey in general isn't doing their best to maximize interest they're both you you said this a lot they're both entertainment products right one sports managed to exponentially increase its entertainment value on the court the other one um, is still stuck in looking for parity and trying to make sure that every game is close rather than allowing the superstars to jump out at you. I mean, I don't know whether you saw it on Twitter, but did you see Steph Curry's around-the-back pass? Yeah. Yeah, so that was like a double dribble and a travel. But the official let it go. And you go, there's no way in hell that flexibility ever happens for any NHL star. They have to fight through everything and you sit there and just go there's a difference between a sport that tries to get the fans out of the seats and another one that doesn't allow their superstars to do it well selfishly for me while i will always want the nhl's players in the olympics because i want the best players in the world at, at a tournament you can say yeah the world cup and i like the world cup but here's the difference between the World Cup and the Olympics, outside of prestige of a gold medal. The NHL doesn't get to officiate the Olympics. Those players will indeed be able to move Do around that. better. I want to see the – it's once every four years we get the best players in the world together without the NHL's stupid-ass officiating to, to muddy it up. I've not actually thought of that. That's a great point. So I don't want that taken away from me. And that may be a selfish viewpoint, but 
I am on board. <laughs> it's a two weeks every four years where I'm not like, oh my god, the the interference and and all the nonsense that and all the the m- meaningless tough guy horse shit after the whistle or punching. And they'll just kick your ass out of the game. And they start the games on time. 7 p.m. means 7 p.m. <laughs> so I like that too. No uh, shitty NBCSN pregame. For Bullshit. 20 minutes before what they said should be the face-off. So. I think the European players will be the one. You, you'll say the status quo is as it is when you get to the Olympics and the league's like, no, no one can go. It's going to be the um, European players that you'll see more of them just go. They've all said it, that the Olympics is absolutely massive for them. I'm not saying that it's it's a, a, a larger priority than North American players, but they've all grown up idolising that before. Like, their endeavours to get to play for the national team, not to get to the NHL. Now, that might change, but that's what they strive for, to, to, play, for their, to play for their nation, not get to the NHL. So... I am like the players. I'm disappointed that they couldn't figure this out. Although I guess until we'll we'll see how this plays out. I'm not so certain it'll stay this way. I hope you're right, but I don't trust the fact that it won't stay this way. <laughs> but here's the thing: Ovi's going. Yep. If Sid and Connor decide to go which I don't know if Sid won't rock the boat because he'll be a good old Canadian boy but if Sid goes what's the, what's the league going to do I, what if Connor goes I, what is the league going to do well, oh Tarasenko's going now Kucherov's going now Gino, Austin Matthews is going now Eichel Carlson even if he's owner saying he can't go what, what are they going to do I don't understand. You're gonna. I mean, they could, you could punish they them, could, but you're gonna yeah, kill your product it. even more. Which I'm not putting it past them to do. Exactly. But how do you how do you manage and facilitate? What would the punishments be? It'd be suspensions or fines. Like it'd be a breach of contracting in the CBA. I bet you any money. Be, they'll be able to find a way. Owners to are it. like, we're good with it. I don't think for a second that Mario Lemieux would keep Sid and Gino from the Olympics. No, nor do I. But one I, of the but hugest reasons Mario came back, I bet, was that O2 Olympics. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And then you've got, then you've got Melnick, who has explicitly said Carlson's not going. Melnick's an asshole. Who cares what he says? I, I realize that, but. I wonder how many are like him privately in that they don't want their guys to go and they'll make sure that it doesn't happen. And if you end up with 20, 20 owners that are like Melnick uh, behind the scenes, then, you know, they're going to enforce the law, whatever that is that they decide to make up at the time. I just, I just, 
you got a whole continent to market to. Yep. And I think it's closer to my time zone too, so it's probably friendlier for me. So let's say they don't go. What's the alternative here? Well, what works with the TV? Because doesn't NBC have the Olympics? Yeah, that's the other part of this that I, I thought was curious. Um, NBC and NBCSN are going to be totally glued for Olympic coverage. You don't pay billions of dollars for the Olympic coverage to not show it. Where I think NBC paid $2 billion for 10 years' worth yeah, of 82-game seasons. Wonderful two million, uh, 20 million a year. So where are they going to broadcast the NHL games during the Olympics? Bravo? <laughs> CNBC? OLA Network? They're all... <laughs> Sorry. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah, no, I don't. Look, they've cornered themselves. It's it's one of those things where NBC has every right to get there and go, well, screw it, we paid X amount for the Olympics and we paid a pittance for you, we're going to ride the Olympics, and they should. Um, the public sentiment is that so many people want them to go. Once again, it's like the entertainment value for the fans, is just it's just not there. Um, I guess the other thing that I, I, I hear a lot of is Miracle on Ice. It wouldn't have happened if they didn't allow amateurs. And, and I have to roll my eyes at that. Like, that's not happening again, so let's stop chasing it. Well, tell that to the people running USA Hockey. Yeah, it's not the best <laughs> players. It's the right ones. No, it's, it's yeah. just because you got fluky uh, lucky one time. Like, everything fell into place which is why it's one of the best sports stories of all time. Might be the best sports story of all time. Uh, so maybe not try and chase that. <laughs> that shouldn't be your model for success. Which it has been for USA Hockey, but in general, like, I don't want to watch the amateurs. I want to watch the best. If you want to watch the amateurs, isn't that kind of what the under-18, like the World Juniors is for? I enjoy that tournament too, but yeah. It's, it's, for me, that's kind of what it's for. It's for a bunch of kids that, you know, are about to get drafted or who have just been drafted, and it's amateur level hockey at its youngest, really, for, for elite level stuff. So it's the thing that sort of baffles me a little bit in that we've already got that kind of. And I certainly don't want AHL scrubs going over. I, I, I could care less. I don't want to watch. The college, I, I want the best. That's what I want. They either should have not bothered to do it at all from the start, and now that they've done it, though, they can't go back. Yeah, it's you, like gave, the, you gave me the taste. I want it. Yeah, well, it's like the NHL is going to get there and skip this one, and then everything will be so bad for the Olympics, according to the NHL, that they'll come begging for them to come to China. And I just don't think that's the case. Well, I think it'll hurt the Olympics not having them. I don't... 
to be honest, I don't know about that. I love watching the Winter Olympics. Yeah, but hockey's the crown jewel of that. Well, figure skating. I think. I don't know. Right? The downhills. It's, it's the thing. Like you've got. There's so many different events. Like the speed skating's awesome. It's Even the. Okay. I love it. I love the speed skating. It's not hockey. Of course it's not hockey. Nothing's hockey, though. We do a podcast on hockey. Of course nothing's hockey. I just don't think that the the hockey not being at the Olympics is going to burn the Olympics as much as the NHL hopes. That's all. I think the NHL loses more. Yeah, the NHL loses more. I, that's, yeah. They don't market individuals anyway, so maybe they don't. <laughs> I can't wait for a new commission to come in and just see if anything changes. Why not? He just does what the owners want. True. But Silver does what the owners want. Look what he's managed to do. Eh, sort of. I think he does what he wants. Well, it seems to work for them. So, that's our Olympic talk, I think. There's not much else to add. I want the NHL players there. That's all. Makes pretty good sense. Okay, so something a little more depressing than that. (laughs) Yeah. Chris Letang is out four to six months. Herniated disc in the neck. This can go alongside of his many concussions and stroke. He, he's he's had some a rough go of things. You hear the word stroke and it just it makes you realize how lucky he's been. Do you know what I mean? Like a stroke, he might not have ever played again. Yeah, very true. And a stroke for somebody of his physical stature is, is amazingly bad luck. The disc, the... So why don't you I, I... lead us off here? What's he looking at for, for a recovery? Can he come back from, from this and, and be the player he, he's always been? Well, he can. Like, normally, it's one of those things where normally you get like a, a sports hernia or something like that. It's usually down in, in the pelvic region, um, down through the groin or the hip flexors, and it's usually um, from overuse, and the the muscle sort of tightens up like somebody's put a screwdriver in it and just twisted it and twisted it and twisted it until the muscle is screwed, basically. The difference with uh, a herniated disc um, in, the, in the lower back is that it's just, it's squashed. And um, if it gets squashed and um, it's squashed for ages, um, when you go and try to relieve the pressure, it doesn't unsquish back out to its normal its normal shape and size, and that's when you can get into trouble. Now, the one bonus Latang has with it being in his cervical spine um, is the fact that literally if you think about gravity, it's only having to worry about holding his head up in regards to weight pushing down on it. So it'll be interesting to see how the recovery goes because I'm not sure 
like are they ha- are they taking the surgery route? Like I haven't actually managed to catch up with that part because if they go for just the natural re- recovery, it could just be um, a lot of inactivity and those sorts of things. So that's going to be his biggest problem for recovery is say he comes out of this perfectly healthy. His neck's fine, the hernia is gone and he's sweet. How much time is, does he spend away from the gym and from the ice to get himself back up to game speed after it um, to be back to the crystal tang that he currently is? And, and that's, we all know he's a gym hound, but will he have to change how he trains to protect his neck because of the way he uses the bar and all those sorts of things? Like, I'd really like to know what set this off because they wouldn't have divulged that information in the press conference. So, yes, he will most likely come back and be the Chris Letang that we knew before the injury, um, but there's always a risk with this stuff. I mean, P.K. Subban, I think, went for the non-surgical route for his lower back when he had a – sounded like he had a herniated disc as well, and he came out on the good side. So, hopefully, Latang can too. Yeah, it it's just the longer this played out, you like Malkin was skating and Latang wasn't even doing those, and it kind of got to the point where you're like, uh, so what, what's going on here? And it was another one of those famous Latang is day to day. Like the Penguins in their day, I don't think they know what day to day means. Oh, they know what day-to-day means. It means that we'll update you day-to-day and give you no information. That's what day-to-day means <laughs> to the Penguin. Oh, it's so frustrating, given the position that I have. <laughs> what have you got to report? Day-to-day. Uh, it's, it's, it's frustrating for me because it's, it's really funny. My wife calls Latang no-neck. Really? Because, yeah, because when we... When we got to meet all the players, Latang heard a female voice and decided to come out of the change rooms with his top off. This was, what is it, 2010. So what are we, seven years ago now? And he just had this massive wrestler's neck. And you get there and go, I don't know whether he's still like that. Now, like his traps and his sternocleidomastoid were just ginormous. And you just go... Is, did Was he built like that to try and stop himself from being concussed from the brain hitting the, the skull? That's the whole point of having a really strong neck, is so you can control what your head does. Or is he overworked in that area? Like, there's so many things that they have to try and sit down and work out. Did it happen just from a hit? Has something pinched in there and they couldn't diagnose it? Like, it's... There's so many factors that are involved in this that it's, they'll probably be trying to look at this for ages to work out what happened. Yeah, but it, I, I suppose at least they're not pushing the issue, even though it comes yeah. at great cost to the team that's trying to give, compete. Give them a little bit of credit in regards to not pushing it because I think in past years – they have, but that was a different medical staff. So I saw, people, I saw people criticizing Penguins medical staff for this, and I don't feel 
that that's warranted in this one. They tried rehab, which is right the natural progression here. Like step one isn't we're gonna cut into your neck. No, no. like you try to do other things, and they did, and it didn't. It it stalled out about a week ago, I guess, and then they had the MRI, and they're like, well, unfortunately. Long term, if you want to keep playing, this is the route you got to do, and this is where they are. I, I it's I feel I feel sorry for the team because I think his legacy in Penguins history is going to be neutered from the fact that he's just missed so many games with big injuries. Like we've missed some of his best hockey because of. Him being unhealthy. But it's like Sid, too. They're not injuries that oh. have anything to do with... He's. This isn't... Oh, he's injury-prone. Oh, yeah, stroke. <laughs> I mean... Um, concussions are concussions. That I don't care who you are. You're not injury-prone because you got a concussion. You're injury-prone if you have soft tissue injuries all over the place. So do you, do you say right breaks... Do you say breaks... Uh, injury prone? Breaks? Yeah, broken wrist, broken... I don't think so. Well, what can you do to prevent that? Drink, I don't care how much milk you're drinking. I Okay, so this is the thing. For me, injury prone is just... I think Bo Bennett is injury prone, or was injury prone the first time in Pittsburgh. He just happens to have a body that is brittle, and it no, sucks. I... <laughs> Oddly enough, uh, I believe he crashed into the boards during the morning skate just now and left the ice. I'm not laughing because... <laughs> All right. Sorry. Sorry, Bo. Bo... I, I like Bo. I, I stuck up for him when he was a penguin, but, like, this poor guy. Yeah, because I, I would argue that Gino is injury-prone, and he gets... Injuries like he's broken wrists. I have a feeling he broke a rib when he blocked that shot. Um, that was more near his neck, though. Was that how high up it was? It could have been his clavicle. Um, but he he wouldn't. They would have said, oh, he has a broken collarbone. He wouldn't have been shooting or doing any of this. Uh, collarbone, you know as well as I do. That's a long injury of not being able to do anything. That's true. It's just, I, you get there with it, and it's like, he's had a procession of injuries that you can expect to get in a contact sport. Like, I, I you, you, when you saw him get injured last year from that hit against, when, he, when they were playing Columbus, you saw the way his arm bent, and you went, that's not good. And it's just the problem of playing any contact sport. You can just get whacked the wrong way, and, you know... Latang's injuries are not that sort of stuff. And that's where I, you're right. I don't think Latang is actually injury prone. A concussion is a concussion. It's one of those things that should not happen in the game, but unfortunately does. Um, whether it's for an illegal hit or a legal hit, it's just one of those things that's actually going to happen. Sometimes um, not even a hit. Yeah, exactly. So, you, you, I mean, you can't plan for a herniated disc in the neck and you can't plan for a stroke. It's just it's one of those things. You're not planning for a stroke in your 20s, let's put it that way. Not when you're in that physical shape. 
No, 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 that's exactly right. Unless he's taking some hardcore goddamn steroids, I'm not expecting a stroke out of um, out of somebody his age, no. So what does this mean on the ice? Uh, not great. Not great. And here's the deal. There's a reason that we haven't had a repeat champion in the cap era, and it's because you need a ton of luck on both bounces that you get during your playoff run, the fact that your best players are on a hot streak at the right time, your depth players don't disappear, and injuries. And unfortunately, this is a really huge injury. And while I was looking at... um, forget whose projection i think downs right oh was he the one that said it was x and then y with letang in and out yeah it went from pittsburgh was a 17 percent favorite to win the cup which is very high it's almost one yeah. out of five which it was is to 11, that's about the best you can go <laughs> it dropped to about 11 didn't which, it? which 11 that. is still third best so that goes to show you and his model was assuming health for the forwards which yeah. they're getting there. But that's a one player usually won't give you that kind of drop. And he means you that know, much to the team. He does, and I wonder what it would have been like had they had this happen last year before Schultz showed that Schultz can play. Letang's value to this team diminished a minuscule amount because Schultz has been able to pick up the slack. There was nobody last year that could pick up Latang's slack at all. Maybe at Schultz least. could have, but they weren't going to use him in that role. No, but this year, this year they can. But like right now they go, okay, we know where we're at with Latang. We know what we've got in regards to the Pines of Daily Amada come back. Um, they know how much they can trust Ruedel. Um, and whoever else they've got working back, the straight and Hainsey. So they, they know where they're at with all those guys now. So um, this team is going to live and die by how well the 12 forwards play. Really. The and they back did six, last year too. Yeah. But the, but the difference is Latang played almost 30 minutes a night in the playoffs. He's a one-man breakout, and he facilitates the puck to those great forwards. And Trevor Daly was playing better than his career would say he was at a high level right oh yeah he yeah he was playing out of his skin yeah yeah yeah. that's not they don't have that this year he's been quite poor in fact he's dragged a lot of people down all right look to be perfectly honest um i don't know if uh, this is the thing they're probably going to play him in the next three games um, but I don't think he'll be a regular through the playoffs, not with Straight and Hainsey available. Um, so I've been seeing a lot of things on Twitter, Penguins record with and without Latang this year, and the without records is actually really good. However... I could give a shit about that. That doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It, it here's the deal. Since February twenty first, when he it was the last game he played, Pittsburgh has all of one regulation win over teams that are currently 
in a playoff spot. Is that the one against Columbus that they just did? That would be the one. Jesus Christ. So I was picking on Columbus for beating up on the lower half of the league, but Pittsburgh have done that in the second half of the season, haven't they? So not only do they not have the regulation win over you know quality teams until a few days ago, the teams that they were playing were all non-playoff teams. The wins that they were getting, and not, I don't you can only win the games you're given. No argument there. But, but for me to to pretend like that without Latang record means anything, I, I can't do it. You're just kidding yourself if if you think that the Penguins' record that means something without Latang, because based on who they played and how they did against certain teams, it, it flat out doesn't matter. I it's it's really funny. I always get there, and I've always said the team that's playing well in the last twelve games of the year, so from seventy and, and beyond, going into the playoffs, is probably going to do quite well in the playoffs. Yeah. Pittsburgh are winning games, but I wouldn't say they're playing. I don't get using this term, playing the right way, and that's not the right term. But you, you know what I mean in that sense, in that it feels like they're often on the wrong side of the uh, the Corsi line. Well, um, they got clobbered by Columbus, even though they won. They, big. Yeah, they, Mar- they Marie really was great. Did. Yep, and, and look, Murray's proven that you could you could ride him for five or six. You know, goalie oriented oriented wins in the playoffs, right? You could get five or six of those out of him. You know, Sid and Geno, if healthy, are good enough to win you, you know, six or seven themselves. You've almost got yourself to the 16 wins that you need. The question is, can they put them together at the right times so that they win four games four times? That That's the, the, the issue you've got. Like, you might get six great games out of them all in a row and then. Because this sport's a coin flip, they might go cold. But that's where the the good forward depth helped last year. HBK was a real thing. They don't have that this year. That third line has not been that. So it's it's a tough one for me in that the biggest factor for for Latang that isn't replaced are the minutes he chewed up. And that was probably one of the best points you made about him is that him on the ice. He's out there. Another one of those players isn't. And when, when... Justin Schultz is the next guy. Well, that's even better this year because he's now eating up the the second most right-handed defense minutes. And then it's maybe Hainsey, who in a bottom-pairing role, that's probably good enough, fine. But now it's Justin Schultz is not going to play close to 30 minutes because not many people can. So that's going to be between 22 and 25. Who's the next right defender? Is Trevor Daly, who's having a miserable season, going to be playing 22 minutes a game? Can Hainsey play 22 to 25 minutes a game? Do you really want Chad Ruedel playing 20 minutes a game? It's a real problem. Yeah, it's just... It's really funny, you know. It's This is one of those situations where it's not next man up. Oh, God, it's never next man up. Well, this is the thing. You lose... It's next man up when it's Zach Sill. Yeah. Well, it's next man up if you lose Ian Cole 
and Cole's been great this year. Don't don't get me wrong, but you lose Ian Cole, it can be next man up. The the gap between what Cole provides and the guy underneath Cole that would be replacing him is smaller than the gap between Chris Letang and anybody else on that back six. Well, put it this way: it's not next man up when you're eight guys injured <laughs> already. Yeah, there's there's a fundamental problem, and maybe this is the cost of being a being a smaller and a fast team. Is that teams that. do try to come at you harder? Chicago does not suffer these kind of injuries. So why that? Is it just luck? Maybe. Which I, I'm happy. I'm happy for that to be the case. I'm I'm just saying that this franchise has dealt with injuries to key key players at fundamentally the wrong time of their careers and seasons ever since Sid got there, really. I just I just find it so hard to, to work out. I mean, you look at the top 12, I mean, Kunitz is out. I think he's done for the year. He was on crutches the other night. Yeah. And that's, I mean, Russ... That's, that's not Kendi. good. No, Kunitz is is far more important than a lot of people give him credit for. He is um, sliding. Like, beginning of the year, first half of the year, he was producing at uh, almost a first-line rate. His offense did did fall off the table. He's back down to solidly a bottom six offensive performer. His possession's still fine, but, you know, I've defended Kunitz for a very long time. We are uh, second half of this season... We we saw started to see that age decline, but before that, people where, were piling on him well before that, and that was very misguided. It's one of those things where he's thirty seven and he needs to take Matt Cullen money if he needs, if he wants to stay at the franchise because his production is dropping to that kind of point. I can deal with him playing in a bottom six role. Yeah, I'd with put good him on that third line with Benino and Kessel. Yep. And let Hagelin play with Malkin and Hornquist. Yep, and have good possession numbers. And then and that top line that's freaking mint. <laughs> that top line has carried a very injured and uh, bad They're possession. They're covering up a lot of warts. A right long, now. long way. Like, people get there and talk about the fact that if you can nullify McDavid, you can stop the Oilers. If you can nullify that line, Pittsburgh are toast. It's one of the things that, right now, that I know... Malkin skating yeah, today, like, non-contact, yeah. but he made the road trip because they're they're on a three-game road trip. Mata was non-contact today, but they're there, which tells me there's an intent to play them at some point. Oh yeah, and, and you would hope that they'd get you know some minutes in between. It doesn't have to be a lot, but between now and the playoffs. But and, until Malkin comes back, that that depth of that lineup just gets so thin like you're asking Cullen and Benino to play your second line center and that's just asking too much like if they go into the playoffs without say Malcolm has a setback then it's literally Crosby and no other center on that team can create his own Sinjino are unreal at creating two of the best of this era I, it can never be said too many times, and I guess that will segue kind of into Ryan Stimson's passing project. And he's got these new visualizations that he released on Hockey Graphs, which are awesome. 
totally awesome. And I have I just pulled one up with Crosby and Malkin. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's basically a big circle. It looks like a dartboard with the circles or a bullseye. And yep. each ring is a quartile, so 25th percentile, 50th percentile, 75th percentile, and the and for the truly elite like Sid and Gino, they actually hit the 100th percentile on some of these areas. And the areas that, that Ryan has, and, and let me remind you again, him and his um, army of trackers are, are doing this manually. They're looking for all these things and, and marking them down every time they happen. And for me, this is the beautiful modern version of hockey analysis that we've been kind of looking for that um, has the eye test and data working in concert with one another. But the thing is, the human brain cannot and will not remember all of the things that you watch. Ryan is yeah. creating a database to draw back on for all these things that we see and know are good. But now we don't have to remember every little tiny event that happens because, let's be honest, we don't. Now you can go back to Ryan's base and, and it's there. And all these things it's... that you know and watch that are good are readily available to pull up now. This is one of those things where you go, you know what, if they actually had chips in the chips on the players and chips in the pucks, poor old Stimmer and his team would be able to just process the data and not have to record it themselves. So the, the work being done on that front, I mean, it's, it's hard incredible. work, hard work, and... I'm extremely grateful, which is why I, I want to talk about it. And for people that don't know about it, hopefully now you're hearing about it and you can go uh, throw them some kudos and uh, look at the work itself. So on this chart, you have transition plays, which are entries and entry assists. So that means <coughs> is the player skating the entry in or does their primary pass cause the, the controlled entry? Build-up play, secondary and tertiary shot assists. So I'm guessing on a rush that leads to a shot, how good are how good are you at creating a shot for somebody else on the rush? Dangerous shot contributions below the end line or across the slot. So how good are you at passing into the tough areas that are, there isn't much room? Influence total shot contributions. So uh, how much are you contributing to there being shots on the ice total passing i'm assuming is you know how often are you passing successfully primary shot assist is basically you passed the guy the puck did they shoot it and what that means is most people are gonna shoot from better areas than not so if you're having a lot of those that probably means you're getting more high danger chances and last but not least shot volume how many shots are you taking? He has all these, and these nice, colorful, and you can have it overlap with other players. That's the best thing. Of all of this that he's done, to, to have designed it to have that capability of being able to overlay one player to another um, really helps when it's coming down to trying to understand what skill sets a particular player has against another and whether you should 
play those players together or, or play them away. Like if you've got two players playing on a line that um, are terrible at zone exits, and you can see that on 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 the bullseye, then I probably wouldn't suggest playing them together. Oh, but here's yeah, exactly what you're saying. So, I mean, I have Sid and Gino pulled up right now, but you could pull up Haglin, Benino, Kessel. And basically, with all three players and the colors on the chart, if you've got all these areas into the 75th and above percentile, that means you got a pretty quality line going there. Somebody is taking care of it, at least part of everything. You know what I mean? So if you put a trio together in his tool here, and you see a big gap in a few of the areas... Maybe that trio is, is, is not exactly the smartest um, combination of skill that you could have. Can you can you overlay more than two players? Yes. Oh, wow. You can, That's perfect you, for well, a team. Well, that you can does. overlay as many as you want. You could technically put the whole league on there, but it's just going to be one mishmash. Not going to be able no, to learn could, anything. You could, you could use that for your five-man units and try and... Jeez, I'll tell you what, I'm probably going to have some fun just mucking around with that thing. And just... now, now, the issue at hand is, again, manually tracked, which means... <laughs> All right, here's a comparison. Modern cartoons like South Park and stuff like that, they're done with computers now. Correct? Hey, oh, say that again, sir? Modern cartoons like shows, they're, they're created via software yeah, and computers digitally, so, like yeah, South Park can make an episode in like three days before they're supposed to air it and it'll be like modern current events yeah the Simpsons still draws out their episodes this data so, takes a long time to get into the system because it's manually done so the quality's great but it takes time and it's not as quick as some of the other stuff that we have available so the sample size isn't huge but I'm looking at Sid and Gino right now uh, I believe his sample size is from last year and this year, depending on the player. And they're they're both at around 600 minutes, so that's significant enough. It's not the biggest, but it's not meaningless. So, and I've already done a, a little bit of work with um, this tool. I was looking at the Sherry Crosby Hornquist line from last year, and you know, to probably nobody's surprise, Hornquist does not add a lot on the passing front. However, his shot volume was through the roof, but there wasn't much else there above the 50th percentile. It's it's really <laughs> funny, you know. You, oh, what was the what was the Nintendo game? that you had to have three different types of players in your life. Yeah, so this is one of those things where a you know a quality line can be comprised of, of many different players and parts. But I think I think you're sort of on the money. You want to make sure that at least every part of Stimson's um, markers has at least somebody that's in the, the 75th quartile. You know what I mean? I think and that's a, a fair way of going about it. If you can get everybody doing that consistently and not having somebody who's in the bottom, 
the bottom quartile, so the, the 25th quartile of like some major issues, then I think you're going to have a reasonably balanced line. Um, and that's where Hornquist has his shortcomings, but when you when his passing shortcomings are covered off by Sheary and Crosby, I think you're going to be okay with the fact that he can just lob in a lot of shots and just make sure he doesn't try to pass the puck in on a zone entry and carry it in. <coughs> oh, that's probably my there's no piece. argument. They won a cup. They yeah. can certainly be okay, and they were above okay. My thing is, Hornquist, um, a lot of the um, expected goals models have him like super high above Crosby and Malkin. And with Ryan's work here, you can really dig into the, the... Now, Hornquist has good possession, but what is going on during those possessions? So now we have context behind just the raw possession numbers. And really, he's kind of just benefiting from two guys on the line that are doing all the dirty work. And I think the dirty work is zone entry stuff, not just a lot of people think dirty work is taking punishment in front of the net. And uh, I find that to be easy. Anybody can knows where the net is. You can go stand there. Yeah, it's going to hurt, but, like, hello. Like, anybody can skate over to the crease area. You're going to be able to tip it as well. Um, well the NHL players, most of them can. Yeah, I know. But you're not um, going to get it to the crease area without all that other stuff. Yeah, it's it this it's it's fascinating to see, and it will be it will be great when the data collecting team manage to find a way to collect the data quicker. Um, whether they find a way to do that um, off, um, uh, you know, if they can find a tracking um, application that can do that for them, uh, just from the video and all those sorts of things. Um, it'll be fascinating to see when, when we get a larger and larger sample size um, and as it gets closer and closer to real time, that'll be absolutely fantastic. And back to the, the context point I was making. So I, raw possession still holds value to me. So let's say someone like Trevor Daly, who I, I looked at his, and, and he does do a lot of these passing things well. His, his chart looked um, better than you might have thought. However, all of these um, variables on Ryan's chart are kind of offensive related towards the offensive zone, except for, well, the, transition, the, except for the transitional play. It's the passing project, isn't it? Well, yeah, but a lot of it's more offensive geared, offensive zone stuff. The only defensive zone one, I guess, total passing and transition play would be four out of the seven is it one two three six i don't know anyways but if you're if you're like a 46 percent possession player you're not going to be on the other end of the ice for this kind of stuff to be tracked so maybe there's something bad happening to where you can't get to that side of the rink and even though ryan's chart would say you're doing these things well you're not having as many opportunities to do it because you're in your own end yeah, but the one bonus, I suppose, is that... <clears throat> no, but it's just nice to have context now. Yeah, it was it was one of those things that you did mention about Daly is that um, his possession front's not going to be great, 
but he should produce offense from the moments when he gets the chance to do so. And that point you made probably comes out. Like you said, he looks a bit better on that chart than you would expect, but that's because when he does get a chance to go through those game events, he does reasonably well at them. They're just not happening happening as frequently as Correct. you and I would like. And, and because... that's the context we've all been looking for. <clears throat> yeah. At least I have been. Because Somebody I've had, to... I've had yeah. these subjective opinions for quite some time. <clears throat> what I haven't had was an objective database to pull from. So the, the problem with arguing, quote-unquote, on the Internet with sub- subjectivity is the person on the other end could give a shit what you think if you got no evidence to back it up sometimes. But I don't give a shit if I, you do I have know what I was looking at time. and I've been playing, watching, coaching hockey my whole life. Like I, I know what I'm looking at, but I don't like making eye test arguments because I just they don't hold much weight with a lot of people. Now I can take what I know to be good with my eyes and with Ryan's project I have some data that I can actually present to support my subjective claims now. And and you know what? The Patrick Hornquist thing is probably the main one. I've been saying for a long time that he's not really good at controlled plays, but he's got great possession numbers. He expected goals. I treat him very favorably, almost like a demigod. And this whole time I've been skeptical of it. And then I see this passing project stuff, and it kind of validates some of the stuff I've been saying. And now there's information that I can back up and say that. And it holds a little bit more water. At least I think. It's funny because you've now got... You will hear people get there into everything you've just said. go, yeah, but I could see that. My eye test showed me that that was the case. And, and, and great, but your eyes don't remember everything. And, and it's not in a database for everybody to look at. And it's not to say that your eye test was wrong, but now... Here's the objective eye test, and that's why this is so great. Oh, it's it's it is it's interesting to the more data you can have, the better it is. But I think the big point you made, which was great, was context. So as long as we know what the context is in, you can get there and go use the Hornquist example and go shot volumes high. Um, but the shot, he's only going to be good at what he does if he gets the ability to make those shots. Sliding him down the lineup, he's been a little less effective than I would like. Wow. And that's because... Yeah, quality of teammate. <laughs> no, exactly. So he can't actually create his own shot. And the fact that he plays with two guys that... Well, was playing with two guys that are great in Ryan's uh, information, um, and he produced well... When playing with them... I'd love to see Gensel's because it, he wasn't yeah. part of the sample. No, I know. But then you move Hawkwist away from players that are capable of providing him with shot opportunities, and all of a sudden he becomes much less effective, and because he's not the most lightning skater either, I see him getting more involved after the whistle than what goes on during the play. And, and, and I think that's one of the reasons he's got that bit of a cult following about how valuable he is is the garbage he does post whistle but this he's not valueless i'm talking about him he's not valueless but you need to know what makes him tick to make him useful and his 
it's it's he's a very specific puzzle piece. <coughs> he's not going to shape shift and, and fit in with every line because there are so many things on this that he's doing 50th percentile or lower. You better have the other guys that can do it at quite a level to maximize that shot volume. So say, and he's only me. an eight nine percent shooter. So even the shot volume, it, like if he was a fifteen percent shooter, holy cow, that would be awesome. But he's not. So if you if Pittsburgh go through these playoffs and and the Crosby line is absolutely dominating, but they're getting nothing out of the other three because. Hornquist can't get any shots because he's playing on the third line. Do you slip him up and drop Gensel down with Gino, or do you just put him with Gino no, I, and just... I, I, I put him with Gino. Gino does it and all. Just... Put Hagelin with like too. Because it's, it's one of those things where you have to try and get the most out of everyone, and I don't want to see that top line broken up. But... No, I'm not breaking that line. Do you need to get more out of Hornquist? And your assumption's right. I would assume Gino would be able to get the most out of it. If you're not getting it done with Gino, then it's on you, not him. <laughs> very, very true. I, I actually just pulled up daily stuff. He's barely over the 50% title in total passing, and he's at the same for transition play. So that speaks to him not being able to get out of his own zone. However, his dangerous shot contributions for passes at the end line or across the slot are above the 75th percentile. His total shot contributions, 75th. Shot volume, 75th. His primary shot assists, only 50th percentile. So some of those variables can explain why he's in his own end a lot. And some of those explain why when he's in the other end, things happen. I love this stuff. This is so good. It's absolutely fascinating. And and the more data that, that comes out, the, the better it's gonna be. It's um it's fun stuff because it's new. Like this is the thing, it's it's new. Um it's Letang's at like be... the ninetieth percentile in all but one. Which is the one that he's short on. Dangerous shot contributions below end line and across the slat, but he's at the seventy fifth percentile for that. Transition play, hundredth percentile. Go figure. That's what's gonna. That is what's gonna kill Pittsburgh in the playoffs is his ability to get out of the zone on his own and start something, whether it's with a pass or whether it's with him skating it, and start something for the forwards to, to generate speed through the neutral zone. Um, <clears throat> Schultz is, is, is okay at that, but no, he's um. Schultz fares incredibly well here, all in the 75th percentile about. Yeah, but that's not 90%, is it? And that's the difference. Like, that gap is 15%-ish, and that's substantial. No, correct. And um, also nice, when you put Dumoulin with Schultz, because Schultz is coming up a little bit short on primary shot assists and maybe shot volume and total pass. He's not coming up that short. I mean, they're all kissing that 75th percentile line with Dumoulin it um it's a good pairing everything's covered 75th percentile or higher so it's working it like that would be a good pairing it's just what the hell are you going to do past it what happens wow. to Ian Cole without Justin Schultz because Ian Cole on this not great 
Well, Ian because Cole's it... possession has been good. So a lot of these things, even though he's not able to generate much, you know, in the way of offense or contributions through passing, at least the puck's not always in his own end kind of deal. But he's not really doing much. And I don't even want to tell you about Mata. Let's just leave that for another day, hey? Let's just say I made a Pouliot Mata chart. <laughs> and yeah. um, Pouliot's looked a lot like Mr. Latang's. Does that include his most recent stint, which was terrible, or is it not quite that up to date? I think it would be leaning quite heavily to last year. Yeah. Which, okay, I understand that he was bad this year. That was, I, I don't know anybody who would say otherwise. But it does go to show again, why was he not given a stretch of games to play when raw possession saying, hey, this guy's pretty good. Shot suppression, Corsi against per 60. This guy's pretty good. And now, in hindsight, we have Ryan's data that's he's he was above the 75th percentile in like a lot of areas. It does. It and Alimata like, is in there. Uh, he's in the 25th percentile for a lot. It does make you wonder, seeing as, you know, Mr. Ventura does, you know, consult with the club, what data he's giving them and whether they're bothering to listen to that sort of data. That's what is always curious to me. It, it, yeah, I mean, when, when you look at, like, the injuries that they're trying to go through with Latang, and then you look at Pouliot's um, stuff from last year, he's in the 85th percentile in primary shot assist total passing, total shot contributions, build-up play, secondary, tertiary, tertiary shot assist, and he's almost in the 100th percentile for transition play, entries and entry assists. Okay, so the biggest problem he had Shot volume year. was 25th percentile. But you know what? They got enough forwards to do the shooting. This guy is getting pucks to talented forwards and letting them do it. Biggest but, problem you know, this year, though, is he couldn't get out of his zone to do any of those things. Well, they mushed him. We'd beaten this topic up, too, but... When you do not allow room to breathe for a player, especially one that's making skilled plays like this instead of just shooting it off the glass like some, like any random asshole that's ever played can do, <laughs> you are mushing their mental ability to think and play the game the right way. Oh, if I screw this hard pass up, I'm going to be sent back to the AHL. Because it happened every damn time. Yeah, no, there was absolutely no... The, the role no that Alimata has been given compared to Pouliot is be strictly, in my opinion, because he played a bottom-pairing role with Matt Niskanen, who is almost a top-pairing defenseman. Oh, it, it loops all the way back around to that rookie year where he was locked out in the third line. Like, you're right, third-pairing guy, sheltered minutes, uh, and he excelled at that, at that role, but every time Marta's been put up into a tougher role has not fed anywhere near as well as the, the club had hoped. And, and according to the contract he was given, when you think about it. So, you know, you want to give Chad Ruedel 40 games in a row, but not Pouliot? Fine. 
But now Latang's out, and Ruido's not even going to come close to doing similar things. I'm not saying That's Ruido would ever replace Latang, but let's be honest: when we're talking about transition play and all this uh, skillful passing stuff. That's not going to happen with Ruedel. It might have with Pouliot if you had given him about 90 to 100 NHL games by now. The only one thing I really liked about the team when they changed coach last year, they played to win, and they put their roster together to play to win. This year, with the back six, with the injuries they've had, it's like they've played to minimize errors as opposed to play to win. Now, playing to win for me would be putting in skilled players that can move the puck. Something Pouliot can do. He will make errors. Well, he, he wasn't great chance. at it this year, and, and I'm openly willing to admit that. But his previous sample <laughs> screams of somebody that does not deserve demotion or ridicule to the extent that he's gotten. No, but he came into this year, and every time he tried to do something, it went wrong. They never got there and threw him back out on the ice when he made an error or um, let him play four or five games in a row to try and work it out. practice with the team for long stretches. It was, hey, you're called up, go play. Yeah, it, it's like they did everything they possibly could to, to make things go wrong with him. So playing someone like Chad Ruedel and whoever else they had, Oleski and Gorts. Give so, a break with some of this. They're all guys that you know what you're going to get out of them. They're going to be, I hate using these terms, but they'll be steady. Uh, they won't try to do anything more than their skill set allows. make a real play. That's Bingo. So they're playing safe, and, and that's not how this team won last year. They didn't play safe. Um, and I know that they were, you know, healthy, but if you're going to get there, you, you need to play to win, and a guy like... Pulley up before his sample size of this year could allow you to do that. And they didn't get that out of him this year, but they never gave him a chance to work out the kinks at the NHL level. So <clears throat> I can't believe we've looped all the way back around to this conversation, but that's where we're at. Yeah, but with Ryan's data, and he's in this 85 to 90 percentile in a lot of these skillful passing statistics, that's pretty good. And when you have yes, a healthy forward grouping, like that's what you want. A guy hitting somebody on the tape with speed. He got 10 games this year. I wouldn't have thought he played that little, but he has. I actually thought it was less. So that Chad Ruido, 33. I don't, I don't get that. Cameron Gauntz, how many did he get? Ten. <laughs> Great. <laughs> like, how do you get to the point and play that guy? Makes no sense to me at all. So, yeah. But we, we have to thank Mr. Stimson going ahead and coming up with this idea and then the rest of his team for actually being able to do this. Yeah, just um, thank you. <laughs> Love it. And his um, Twitter handle is uh, at RK underscore Stimp, S-T-I-M-P and his works at Hockey Graphs and I, I'm, I'll send Cam the link and he can put it in the, the Hockey Hurts 
Oh, whack it in there. The, the podcast blog. So I don't have much else. The questions we had, which was on short notice, I think we, we kind of covered. So, yeah, I think we I think we got it. So oh, last one one final thing. Ryan again runs the RIT Hockey Analytics Conference that will be on October twenty first of this year in Rochester, New York. Oh, righty So so I need to fly up for that. <clears throat> that is something to look forward to if you like that kind of stuff. <laughs> so. Let's see here. HockeyHurts.com, Patreon.com slash HockeyHurts for financial assistance to the podcast, which is voluntary. At Walshy66, at Hockey underscore Hurts, at Gunnar Stahl. HockeyBuzz.com for the Penguins articles that I write. So that'll be it for this week. Thanks, guys.